0: Welcome everybody to the Selfish Podcast. Today I have an amazing guest, Luke Story. Now he is a entrepreneur, uh, a lifestylist, and to me, he's someone of full of compassion and giving, and that's very interesting for me. But first, Luke, I want to get into your childhood. Can you paint me a picture of what life was like pre-10 years old?
1: Oh man, pre-10 years old. You know, it's funny, I'm working on a book right now,
0: and the book is
1: uh, based on Personal development and um, spiritual evolution, and in the course of doing that book, I'm, you know, going back through some of the darker periods of childhood, and um, I ended up having to write a disclaimer in in that portion of the book or a, a preface to that section of the book because there were so many great times too, and and I was given so much love and attention, um, and you know, just had tons of fun. I was a happy kid, but there was also a considerable amount of trauma, and uh, and and neglect, and uh, abandonment, and things like that that took place. So, how I first learned to cope with the um, the things that were going on in my childhood, which in in hindsight, subjectively was pretty rough. You know, it, it was it it was not a great time <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> but then i discovered rock and roll you know my mother used to clean my uncle's house in exchange for him uh, babysitting me at night and my uncle was a few years younger than my mom and he grew up in the bay area in the in the 60s and so he had all these rock and roll records so he had like the first black sabbath record and first couple led zeppelin and Jimi hendrix are you experienced and um and even a grateful dead record which i didn't like as a kid because it wasn't hard enough but uh, i remember really my first i would say i don't a mystical experience would be overstating it a bit but my first kind of transcendent experiences being listening to that music that just it just took me to another world that was much more pleasant than the world that I was living in inside my head and uh, within my emotions. And so uh, that was kind of, you know, my first true passion was music. And then shortly after that, uh, I started doing drugs and um, the drugs were sort of supported by the culture of, the music that I was listening to and also where I live. So my childhood was really wild. The first ten years, I mean, I think I experienced something You,
0: a, you yeah. started drug
1: what what age? Oh, probably started experimenting around eight or nine. And by the oh, time I, I was yeah, by the time I was I'd say ten or eleven, I was a I was a full fledged uh bona fide addict. And so uh, I had a I had an amazing childhood because there was a lot of contrast, you know, there was a lot of uh, polarity. There were great times and I had fun. I lived in the country and was always out, you know, swimming in rivers and lakes and riding dirt bikes and shooting BB guns and just being a wild kid. Those were, uh, it was a different time. That was the time when uh, your parents would kind of set you loose and say, be home by dark and Anything yeah. else goes, um, but yeah, there was there was in the formative years there there was a lot to work through, and it's it's been an ongoing journey um, through my adulthood to really uh, discover some of those challenging times as a kid, and um, of course, well, not of course, but thankfully, uh, many many years later, I was able to uh, to get sober, and I've been so ever since. But uh, yeah, the childhood was wild, man. It was a wild ride looking back it was all just kind of normal to me. But when I meet other people and they ask the question that you just asked, they're always like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, what? Yeah. It was just, it was just wild, man. You know, it was wild. There was a, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of darkness around, um, despite the fact that I, you know, still was a relatively happy kid, but um, all of that was really grist for the mill, you know, as they say. And, Uh, that led me down such a self-destructive path in my uh, adolescence and teen and even into my uh, early adulthood that by the time I was really ready to come out of the shadows and begin healing, I just had a fervor and a commitment uh, to do so. And uh, and that's what really fuels my life and my work today is just having uh, overcome so many challenges and so many um, emotional wounds and so much—I um, won't say mental illness in the way that we think about schizophrenia or something like that, but just mental discontent and, uh, and and a lot of suffering early on. And so now, my life is really about just celebrating the freedom that I've been graced with and that I've that I've put some work in for. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a real, uh, you know, it's a real tale of transformation, man, my life, you know, where I started and where I am now is just vastly different.
0: Yeah, no, I can relate to a lot of that. I had a very traumatic childhood. My mom actually had schizophrenia, really severe. Uh, They called it schizophrenia, but she was the worst case I had seen. And through my childhood, I visited her in many hospitals. But She was also my, um, she was a single mother, so she was looking after us, but she had no ability too so from a young age me and my brother became her carer from a very young age and that yeah, caused me yeah. a lot of pain and suffering and suicidal thoughts from like seven years old just yeah, a lot,
1: well.
0: <laughs> of, you know, and it's like yeah. Yeah. it takes time before you go back and actually can and people don't really grasp it until they've really been through certain things or got to a certain point but to actually appreciate it now they're my best moments because they've gifted me now later in my life with a different perception
1: absolutely the
0: The difference on mine and yours is because of my mom's mental illness. I was sent into a mission of control over my mind and my actions because she had so little of them. So things like drugs and alcohol, I just didn't want to go near because I was like, (laughs) I need to have 100% control of everything I do.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I was really
0: pushed away from that area. But I was in a lot of depression, insomnia, so many issues through my younger life. Um, That that makes sense,
1: you know, and and Luke one could surmise that even the path that I took uh, was also an effort at a different kind of control right there's the kind of control where you don't want to have your mind or your consciousness altered because you you want to have that level of control but I think for me even in the drugs that I abused and and even in the health regimens and all the biohacking things that I do I mean i'm I'm quite the health nut um I think at the at the at the core of that is really an effort to control too, because one is working so hard to control every moment's feeling and sensation and really to control the perspective of the experience, right, so it's like you might look at a drug addict and say, wow, they're totally out of control, that's a term people use, uh, because their outward expression of their uh, internal experience looks out of control, but what that person is trying to do, I think, uh, is actually exert control over their circumstances and, and really control how they feel. And that, not that there's yeah. anything wrong with that, but it's it's an interesting observation that I've made later in life because I, I I felt like I was so out of control and my life was so unmanageable and chaotic. I mean, there was just so much drama and
0: craziness. like Would you say that taking the drugs, in a, like you're having a feeling that, say, you don't like and you take the drugs to control that feeling, to try and literally switch it to a different feeling? yes yeah no, and
1: i'm okay. still very much that way you know i've i'm every day i'm working to find my sweet spot so whatever you know food choices i make or supplements i take or any of the various healing tools that i that i employ in my life i mean it's all really yeah so it, it's you're all really it-
0: your list in the email of all the things that you're sort of uh, happy to talk about but like what you have information and what you've learned and I don't know if you ever saw the show it was big in England I think it went to America it was called the gadget show no, and they man. had a really and they had a prize at the end and it was like the most ridiculous list of prizes that just rolled off one after another and reading your email it was like that there was just this after this after this but i resonated with all of them because when you go for a certain path of we could say path of control but path of self development um, there's so much information out there now. And there's so many things you can utilize to change how you feel. Um, But to gain that control, to gain that sort of perspective and change your life. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, there's two sides of it, right? It's like, one side is just surrender your life to God, to spirit, and let that intelligence work it out. And then the other is just the most OCD level of control. Um, So I do my best to kind of fall somewhere in the middle. I think I probably spend a lot of time kind of managing the body and managing how I feel and things like that, which ultimately can be a distraction. But I think the distinction there, at least what I find to be useful is uh, keeping alive a sense of self-awareness and self-honesty so that if I find myself kind of veering into the neuroses of control and going off the deep end, you know, and fooling myself into thinking, oh, I'm just taking care of myself, it's just self-care, when meanwhile it's it's a distraction from really just being with oneself and in uh, a, a present uh, sense, right? It's just like, yeah, am, I af- am, yeah, am I afraid to just be in this moment with just me, or do I need all of these outside props to fulfill some emptiness or um, some discomfort that I'm feeling inside? So I, I do my best to kind of stay aware of that, but I've also just, over the years, just had to come into acceptance that some things are just the way you're wired. You know, it's just, it's just the way you are. I mean, I just, I'm just a full on guy and I've tried to fight that and just be normal and go about my life and wake up, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to sleep. I'm just not that guy. I'm just, I have to explore uh, everything in this earthly realm and beyond to see what i could possibly find that um, elevates my consciousness and improves my life uh, but sometimes it, it can be a bit much especially for people uh in your immediate vicinity luckily now i'm i'm married to a woman who just accepts me and all my wackiness and uh, we really don't have any problems there but i have had issues in the past where in the past where i've had relationships romantic or otherwise wherein you know there's not enough of my time and energy left for other people because i'm so busy kind of working on myself right it's yeah. it's kind of like the opposite of the spiritual bypass it's like going so deep into the work that that's all you do and all you care about and it doesn't leave much room for just being a person and enjoying your life so um i think balance is the key and that's yeah, what and I'm i yeah and
0: awareness like you say for me i i didn't aware that and it comes back to say addiction i didn't wear i was addicted to trying to say, balance myself, trying to fix myself, trying to heal myself, trying to improve myself, develop myself, like I was addicted like it. And you realize when you say, when you're just by yourself and you just try and stop and you let things not go the way that you might have planned or you know, not take something that you needed to take and you think oh, I need that because it's healthy or you know, and you realize how unbalanced you've become. Like that was a big part for me in my uh, in my life to actually realize how off balance I was with how much I was obsessed with balancing myself. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, and it's easy to get distracted too. If if one's mission is to at least well, mine, you know, I don't know about other people, but my mission is to evolve my consciousness. You know, this single point of consciousness they call Luke. I want to use this opportunity in this incarnation and this body and the personality and everything that I was given to go as far as I can in terms of my spiritual development and it's easy to use things uh, that seem to serve that purpose, but ultimately become a distraction when sometimes, as I said, just being in the moment and being present with oneself and um, summoning the resources within to achieve that goal versus always seeking outside of oneself uh, to get that sense of fulfillment or completion. Um, and I, you know, I don't know, there's no like perfect. I don't think there's a perfect path for that. It's just in building one's self-awareness and also self-compassion, as I said, just kind of accepting oneself and saying, hey, I, I'm not perfect, but this is the way I am. And I acknowledge that I'm fairly obsessive or whatever one's you know, minor pathology um, presents to be. And just saying, hey, man, it's just, it's just me. I'm gonna live my life and have fun and try to make as positive a contribution to humankind as possible along the way.
0: Yeah and I found uh, self-love was a part of my life I was mission I think it came from again from the childhood and the the structure there but I didn't realize until I spent more time with myself alone and with my thoughts and tried to sort of silence them that I had become like my own self-dictator and I was living in expectations you know that you have to behave a certain way you have to do a certain thing like I was putting myself under such control and such self-abuse internally that the the sort of thoughts that were coming in I was like I didn't realize how bad they were and that I wasn't accepting myself in the moment. I was always living in the future that one day you can pat yourself on the back. One day you can tell yourself, good job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, the ultimate temptation, you know, is to take our awareness uh, away from the moment in which we find ourselves. And that's, it's the trap of the mind, right? The mind's always trying to uh, prepare for the worst and it's negativity biased of the future, or it's, seeking some fantasy of salvation in the future, right? If I, when I get yeah. the girl, when I get the job, when I get this much money in my bank or get this car, or when I get abs or whatever it might be outside of oneself, um, or fearing the future. Oh, you know, for me, it's like with the things going on in the world right now, I really have to keep an awareness around my level of fear because I see so much um, authoritarianism going on, and just it's every day I turn on the news feed, it's just like, oh my God, they're really serious this time. The, the powers that be uh, are really seeking to stamp out any vestige of um, human liberty. That remains and one side of me gets really afraid and the other side of me just goes, Hey Luke, you're that's not happening yet. What's happening is you're sitting in front of your computer at your desk, you gotta answer some emails. You know, it's like yeah, just keep it simple, stay right here. And and also, you know, as you said, the the same temptation kind of flips in in hindsight retroactively, and we'll either, you know, regret something that's taken place and pine over that, something in the past. Um, or you know, e- even more painfully get swallowed up by a sense of resentment for things that have happened in the past for oneself or other people that have um, perpetrated or that you believe to have perpetrated some harm upon you and such. So it really is a trap. The ultimate trap is um, is any moment that's not this moment right here.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like I, I say to a lot of people, like I, I don't. You, the imagination to me is what makes us so different uh, on this earth to so many other creatures. And I said we have an immense, powerful imagination. But if you're spending that in should have, would have, could have in the past, you know, you're not actually present. You're not in the moment. And even saying to someone you're in the moment seems to be quite taboo. Some people think that means you don't have any uh, concerns. That you're not passionate <laughs> about anything. That you're yeah. just, you know, you're just going with the flow and you just don't care. And it's like no, you can you can be in the moment, but it's a presence. It's being in the reality that you are actually here right now. Like I'm talking to you right now, this is where I am. And, um, yeah, it's a big thing. A lot of people don't see where they are. At what point did you get into actually like sharing and sharing your story and putting stuff out? What point in your life did that switch happen for you?
1: Well, when I was 26, uh, which would have been in 1997, I checked myself into a drug treatment center and, um, quickly learned in there that the answer to my problem and my problem being at that point just acute drug addiction and alcoholism was in finding uh a relationship with a higher power call it god call it what you will and that um that would necessitate um addressing the self-centeredness and the selfishness that had developed in my personality you know when you live as a drug addict it really drops you to your base level of survival instincts and so because society is not set up in a way that's supportive to people who are killing themselves with drugs you know there are some social norms right around this and so you have to become sneaky and um, deceptive, not only to other people, but to yourself and and build a wall of denial. And within all of that, uh, for me at least, there wasn't a lot of room to think about other people. The idea of giving my time, attention, or resources to another person went against every instinct inside of me that said, I have to survive. I have to get what's mine. And so while I think I was Most of the time, even in the years that I was abusing drugs, I would say I was generally kind to people. I've always been a relatively warm hearted person. I was never, um, you know, terribly violent or mean, although I did hold a lot of hostility and repressed anger inside. But I was extremely selfish and self centered, even though I did, uh, you know, I did care about people, but I was prevented from expressing that care. Because every day was just about survival, and so um, I began to learn about the principle of service when I first got sober. And um, and the way that I did that was through uh, through the twelve steps. And so the twelve steps are really based on a premise of getting your false self out of the way and developing a relationship with God, and really um, getting into a lot of deep self examination and in inquiry in terms of what defects of character you have developed throughout your life and uh, working to identify and eliminate those defects of character so that uh, as you continue on in that process, you actually have some semblance of um, groundedness and self-worth and self-love, as you mentioned, so that there's a cup that's full enough to spill forth. And, um, the culmination really of, of the 12 steps as a spiritual teaching is about service. And so uh, I realized very early on that as anxiety ridden and pathologically depressed as I was, and just, I was just such a mess mentally and emotionally in those early years of sobriety, um, that the only thing that really helped me to get out of myself and, and that self-centeredness and just the obsession on one's own life and owns problems was to um to learn how to serve others and and for me what that looked like was uh helping other guys in their early sobriety and uh you know and mentoring and sponsoring and things like that and i i found that if i was sharing my experience and sharing a message of hope and sharing tools that i had discovered to be useful in my own recovery that I just felt so good. So um, speaking at meetings and spending hours and hours on the phone and in person with uh, with other addicts um, really just filled my heart. And um, I felt a sense of obligation to do so because it had been done for me. And also because I was just so in awe that I had Um, been given the grace to be um, liberated from the bondage of addiction. It had just been so many years that it's just like, oh my God, there's a way out. And I was compelled and really I'm still compelled um, in in different ways. I think more broadly speaking, I'm just compelled to share with other people and to help alleviate their suffering in whatever way I can. And, uh, and this is what makes my life so fulfilling now. I mean, no success um, of any kind is as meaningful as contributing to someone else's well being. And the funny thing about that is, from, from the addict's behavior, it seems the best way to get what you want is to go out and take it. And what I've discovered over the years is that the, the fastest and most fulfilling way to get what I want is to help other people get what they want. And what do other people want? A Ferrari? No, they want the Ferrari because of the feeling that that Ferrari brings them, or at least the feeling that they believe it's going to bring them, or even having physical health or anything external in the material world. Um, What people really want is a sense of purpose and belonging, and they want to have the experience of love, Not, not romantic infatuation love, but the experience of love as an energy field that emanates through... Uh, through our heart and through our our being, you know, that's the feeling that people are really going for. And many of us get tricked into thinking that it's somewhere out there, but it's really a feeling inside. And so the more I share um, the ways that I'm finding to be useful in doing that, uh, the more I get it, you know, it's just crazy. It's the ultimate paradox. It's the most selfish thing you can do really is to give to others (laughs)
0: because that's exactly why this is called the selfish podcast, because I just love to share and connect. And I've noticed how that's how giving is living, you know, and when you give, you get, and it's like, yeah, it's actually really selfish because I'm doing it for myself, but I'm actually doing it purely because I just want to unconditionally love and be compassionate to others. But really that comes back to it's for myself, you know, and it's you in this sort of duality of experience and, um, but yeah, it really is. You get what you give. And yeah. um there's nothing better, problem. man. There's nothing better, no. dude. Like I get messages
1: from people every day and hi, if you're some of those people. I mean, literally every day from people that tell me how uh you know how much the, the work that I do has helped them and has changed their lives and things like that. And if I got nothing out of this but that, I would be happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, well I'm I'm it's on a much best. smaller scale presence wise online than you are. Like I have a following on YouTube and I started putting content out a year ago, but I started just sharing my story with depression, with suicide uh, experiences, my journey of self-love. And I just started really sharing everything that worked for me. And just like, just for anyone, I just was like, if this helps anyone or not, it's helping me just to talk about it. Um, but the response I got from the few that I did at the start, it was like an unbelievably, uh, they say loving feeling. And then to know that you're giving that to someone else—it's like even if you don't make money from it, that's more powerful than any money you could get. Just that giving and that openness.
1: Yeah, it's true because it's like a shortcut to the feeling that you think that money is going to give you anyway. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. Like, why do you want money? Because you want a sense of freedom and uh, perhaps in some cases on a more egoic level, prestige and security and all of these things. But that comes from just human connection, right? And from yeah. um, having a positive impact. And, and also there's a really interesting phenomenon too in this idea of teaching. And I've never, i I've never really thought of myself as a teacher because I'm just such a perpetual student. My goal every day is just to keep learning more about the nature of truth and, and reality, etc. cetera. But one thing I discovered also early on in uh, recovery was You know, I would be speaking to someone who was less experienced in living life as a sober person, and I would. It's almost like, as a third-person witness, I would observe the things that I was saying, and it it was almost like—and this is still present to this day, even more so. I think I've just—it's become just normal. But it's almost as if I was like channeling wisdom to someone, you know. And then I'd be sitting there listening to the things that were coming out of my mouth, going. Oh my God, I really needed to hear that. Right. So it's like, yes. (laughs) Some guy would call me, he went through a breakup or he got fired, or he, you know, he slipped and had a drink or whatever it was. And I'd start just sharing spiritual truths and things that I'd found to be useful. And um, and that's how I learned it. You know, it's really this phenomenon of um of learning by teaching. You know, when you teach, it it really helps you to embody that teaching so that it's not you know, an intellectual construct or something that one read in a book or uh heard at a lecture or something like that, but really something that becomes part of who you are and it becomes uh formative in terms of your own integrity and the person that you're becoming. And when you can share and teach about it, it just locks it in and cements it in a way that's that's really phenomenal.
0: Yeah, no, I've definitely noticed that myself through through the path that I've been going through. And it's like you say, it's it's uh, overwhelming joyful feeling i could i could say as well it's like self-confirming and affirming your your own thoughts and actions and they said even right. if no one was to watch it just documenting it for yourself and saying i think mean, there's a power in saying words out loud as well because we say so much in our mind uh, <laughs> right, right. and we don't actually voice it and then when you come to voice it it's like you, you almost like just hear it in a, such a different way to when it was silent in your mind and it's just yeah. so much mo- so much more powerful
1: one of my teachers used to say i think he used to say he called it the third ear right you're yeah. you're sharing with someone you know in the i guess in the context of teaching for lack of a better term and uh he would say yeah the third ear is hearing it meaning you as the teacher are hearing it from source or consciousness wherever that information is coming from and uh, the third ear is hearing it so you're actually teaching yourself simultaneously <laughs> as you think you're teaching someone else and I think that also keeps one humble, right? Because you know that yep. nothing really originates from you. I mean, sometimes I'll have what I think is a brilliant realization, and then I'll remind myself that I didn't even create myself. So how could I have created that idea, right? It's like things are just coming through uh, conscious awareness, but I didn't make my body. Uh, it's like if someone says, "Man, you you know." <laughs> You have uh, pretty eyes, or you know any compliment someone gives you, it's like you can't really even take ownership for that. Or you're a great musician, or a writer, or um, you know you're great at physical fitness, or whatever your superpower happens to be, right? You're a sports star, but mm-hmm. I, the the humility and knowing that you're just a vessel that you know the breath of life and and consciousness or God or however you like to frame that has created and is working through you. So one really can't take ownership truly of anything because it's all been given to you. I think every brilliant idea that any of us ever have is really just coming from the collective consciousness of um, of the intelligence that pervades the universe. And if if you can think of things in that way, not only is it a, a nice guard against um, the ego starting to self-identify and build a construct around that, but it also keeps keeps that flowing right you're 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 not latching on and sort of clinging to the gifts that you have you're just constantly open and receptive
0: uh, yeah. to those energies
1: and and bringing more of that in because there's not a there's not a personal egoic attachment to your gifts you recognize that they're gifts and you acknowledge them and somebody gives you a compliment, you say, yeah, thank you. Wow. I'm really, I am really good at this. Thanks. You know, but I'm not the one that made me good at it. Right. It's just, you were created that way. Everyone has their own unique voice and their own unique gift. And for someone it's a bricklayer and for someone it's a shoemaker and for someone it's a computer programmer for someone it's a public speaker or author or podcast or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. And what point did you, you said you're married, you have a wife and you're in love with her. At what point, did she know about your past how did that come to form or did she know you did she know that before you actually became into a relationship <laughs> i withheld that until we we're already married no i'm just kidding yeah. uh, on the wedding well, night. You
1: know, yeah my wife's name's allison and i met allison probably god maybe five years ago or so and she was a guest on my podcast and then um you know i'm try to be a professional guy. So uh, I I thought she was beautiful and talented and lovely in every way. But uh, actually at the time, I just, I was on a bit of a break, a pause from relationships. So I didn't, you know, pursue her in that way, but we became friends. And I think um, just through the times that we met and she would interview me later on a, 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 like a video show that she was doing. And we had interactions where we got to know each other. And I'm sure she, um, along the way, picked up that that was part of my story. But she had never really had, um, wasn't really around people like that, um, in terms of, you know, addicts and she's never been into drugs or drinking or anything like that. So, um, I don't think it was really a big deal to her. I think to put words in her mouth, uh, if I asked her, if she was sitting here now and we asked her, uh, she would probably say that she was grateful that I had gone through those things because they helped mold me into the person that I am. And, um, you know like we were talking about in the beginning i think when one has some some profound challenges like that and is able to um pull through there's a certain level of empathy that's um that's held with that and and unless one remains selfish and self-centered and narcissistic mm-hmm. uh you can't help but kind of you know, have that manifest as kindness and, and open heartedness. So I don't think for her it's something she really thinks about because it's been such a long time. However, uh, when we first got together uh, almost two years ago, I had pretty recently begun exploring the realm of psychedelics and plant medicines um, with the purpose of, you know, healing and, and growing, not recreationally. And I think uh, in the beginning, she was a little apprehensive about my explorations just due to my past. And she didn't, you know, she didn't know me really for the 22 years that I was uh, in recovery prior to exploring plant medicine. So um, there was a couple of conversations about that. Like, are you cool? (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I know about your past. Are you repeating some kind of pattern or something like that? But as we got to know one another, and as she saw that I, uh, would emerge from those experiences as a much better version of myself reliably every time. Um, I think those concerns were assuaged and and now we're just uh, living happily ever after and all is um, well.
0: Yeah, and and like you say, there's a label to the word drugs and it sort of covers so many topics and like you say, cannabis and mushrooms come under that, yet they're different from many other drugs and alcohol. They're all individual and they're all different and can have such different uses. But when someone doesn't has never really experienced or been around people that take any form of drugs, drugs are just drugs, and it's like if yeah. you take that, you might be back on this one, or you might lead to this. And yeah, I can really see the the sort of fear and anxiety coming into someone that if you were a past addict, that if you're gonna touch any drug, you might be back on, you know, you might move yeah. on to other things. And that's uh-huh. that's
1: that's true in most cases. I had this conversation with my dad a couple of weeks ago. You know, he called me and he never really says like, Hey, I need to talk to you. And I was like, Oh, I wonder what's on his mind. And we got on the phone. He's like, so what's up with the psychedelic stuff? And I said, Oh, (laughs) it's great. It's wonderful. (laughs) And he said, well, you know, I'm a little concerned that you're going to go, go back to your old ways or something. And so we had a, a long and open, beautiful conversation about that. But, you know, drugs are interesting because they're all, they're all tools. And when I was a kid, the tool that was most useful to me was marijuana and, um, i don't think i would have made it through my childhood without that i i can't imagine how i wouldn't have just snapped or had a nervous breakdown or was that your
0: first drug yeah
1: yeah i think i would have just lost my shit. i mean that was the only thing the only tool that i had that kept me tethered to you know this reality and the the painful experiences that i was able to endure. Um, and then later on it it was other things, but even something like heroin. I mean, it's a, it's a tool. There's a reason why opiates are used as painkillers and, and they work great for that. If you're in a lot of emotional pain and you do heroin, uh, you'll forget about your problems for a few hours. You know, uh, it's just that there are certain substances, I think for some people that just have, Dire consequences and and side effects and and for some they don't. I mean, I've known a few people in my life that have been able to use what we might call street drugs um, recreationally and have never really developed, you know, habitual use of them, and they've been able to use them uh, as tools. and I'm sure there are many people that do that, uh, but for me, there's definitely a clear definition uh, in my own recovery and in my own life of kind of what i find to be useful and safe versus what i find to be likely dangerous and lead me back on that path so there's you know a pretty extensive list of things that i would never consider putting in my body because i'm just not willing to risk the possible uh, consequences uh, if i were to do so and I, i don't really have a purpose i'm i'm never in so much emotional or physical pain now for example that i have the idea that Heroin would be a good idea this weekend, you know. It just doesn't occur to me, or you know, cocaine or crystal meth or any of those drugs. I I I don't find a utilitarian use for them, and it's very likely that they would lead me back to uh, the hellish nightmare from which I emerged at 26 years old. Uh, But outside of that classification, there are a lot of substances that are very powerfully uh, mind and spirit altering that have been really useful in my own healing and I and I you know I'm hesitant sometimes to talk about those things because I would never want to be the guy that gives someone new in their addiction or alcoholism recovery license to go do a bunch of psychedelics for fun that's not that's not the way I've done it it's not the way I'd recommend doing it by any means but I've had some miraculous changes in my life that have been, overwhelmingly positive in the past uh, two and a half, almost three years since I kind of opened myself up to that uh, that type of exploration. And I feel very uh, grounded in it. I feel uh, that I have uh, great discernment and moderation in terms of uh, when and where and with whom I choose to have those experiences. And um, it's done nothing but enhance my life. And so I find that to be not only exciting for me personally, but also very interesting considering that for so many years um, I was under the assumption that if one has had any past issues with addiction, that all drugs are off the table and that there's no room for any of them to be used for tools of healing because as you indicated, they all have the potential to take one uh, back uh, from, from where they came. And, um, you know, that hasn't been the case for me, knock on wood. I'm living my best life, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting, you know, all of those tools kind of have, have different uses. I mean, if, if one had to stay awake for 48 hours and, you know, write a research paper or something, crystal meth could be very useful. I'm not, I'm not, uh, condoning that or <laughs> recommending that, but even that, you know, for some people at some points in their life could have some use. Um, it's not something that I would choose to do at this stage, um but they're, they're there. And, um, and also, you know, these molecules that um, have, have either been synthesized by the, the plant kingdom um, or by the hands of humans have all come from creation, right? So why are they here if they're not here to use? I mean, how could something like um, opium even exist on the planet if we didn't have receptors for it or receptors for cannabis and and different things like that. So it's, it's clear that humans likely have a, a long history of using these different um, substances as tools, but they also come with risks. But, um, you know, if you go chop some wood in your garden with an ax, uh, that's got risks too. It's a tool that can be used uh, yeah. to serve a great purpose to save your life and keep your house warm. But if you're not careful it can also
0: cause you to lose a foot so
1: yeah or you know, like I, shooting
0: a gun or anything there's a certain amount yeah. of training development awareness yeah um, yeah exactly. and mentorship you know it's having like in a lot of traditions they have say the shaman or they have people that come in to, to guide right. someone through a process it's never sort of it's just random and experimental or recreational as you would say you know there's no. actually like a whole no. process that need to be developed and uh, under not understood but Do you know practiced very
1: much so i was thinking about that a couple days ago i thought i I got an email invite to a, a ceremony and uh i felt into it for a moment and i realized i was like no not not right now there's there's no need it's not the right timing so i you know i didn't decide to do that but i just had the thought i thought you know, one could just get a hold of some mushrooms or whatever it might be and just sit at home and do it. And I just thought, God, that sounds like a horrible idea. (laughs) You know, I just, I don't think I would ever probably do that. Anytime I've, um, had any, you know, experiences, especially since, um, being sober, it's, it's always been under the guidance and sort of, um, you know experience of a practitioner a facilitator shaman etc i i really like uh the sense of security and sacredness and um just mindfulness around doing those things the right way and i mean I, i'm kind of terrified to be honest of just sitting by myself and having some of these deeper experiences i don't think that'd be something i would um probably ever do really no. um you know it's just it's it's i don't want to say too dangerous but just knowing the places that your consciousness can go i've always felt much more secure knowing that there's someone there present that has experience in these realms that if things were to go sideways at all and i was struggling in any way that i could say hey come here i need help right i've never done that but but I would I just like knowing there's someone there that's also not losing their shit that could help kind of bring me back if things get wonky. Okay. Actually it has actually one time things did get wonky and there were people there that expertly brought me back into a feeling of of safety and and love and comfort and um and the experience was um actually turned around and transformed as a result. But they're there were a few pretty scary moments there uh, on one occasion. And so yeah. that, that's a case in point for having a trusted guide there to, uh, to assist you and, and just really create a space that's very safe and sacred, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: how do you think a conversation would go between you and, say, your 15-year-old self, if you could go back now? What do you think your younger self would think of you now?
1: Oh, man, I, I communicate with my <laughs> younger selves all the time. You know, it's one of the realizations that I've had uh, through psychedelics specifically is uh, the visceral awareness that every chronological version of myself is still present within this version right now. And so the five-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 15-year-old, Luke, uh, are still part of my uh part of my being and i've had to go back to those different versions of myself um if that makes sense and and really offer offer them love and understanding and forgiveness and compassion and uh and also kudos you know for <laughs> for fucking sticking with it and making it through right I yep. mean, um, if I could talk to my 15 year old self, which I, I have, I don't know that specific year, but, you know, at different yeah. touch points, I think in my life, I've had to go back and really dig deep into some of those scary shadows to to heal those experiences that are that are held within my, my auric field and my nervous system, just those things that really stick with you, those pronounced um, painful and traumatic experiences. And I think what I was really missing then was just uh, just a sense of self-love and and self-worth. Um, i I experienced so much shame uh, as a kid and as a younger person, just it just pervaded everything I did. just this sense of not being worthy, not being lovable, not belonging, feeling different, feeling alien, feeling ostracized, uh, all of those things that, Necessitated the abuse of drugs um, during those years. I mean, I would just go back and be like, "Dude, you're okay. You know, you're you're perfect and and lovable and divine and powerful and wise." And uh, God, if I could imbue that that younger version of myself with uh, with that, I think it would be a tremendous gift. But the good news is, is that we can do that right now. Yeah. You know, each of us has within us I I one day I thought of it like this, those little Russian dolls, you know, where you you take the cap off one of them and there's a smaller one and a smaller one and so on until you get down to this little minute Russian doll in the middle of them and I think of our being in in a similar way, you know, within us is you know, the DNA, man, and there's <laughs> every thought, every feeling, every experience that we've had On some level, is still present within us, every version of ourselves, and so we don't have to have a time machine to go back there. We can just sit within ourselves and and meditate on, on that, um, you know, sort of that iteration of ourselves, and communicate that in the moment to that little boy or that little girl that's still there, and communicate that love. And and also for me, um, I think what's been important is to help that inner child feel safe and secure and that it's not the only version of itself present and that there's an adult in the room now and that I have its best interest at heart and that I'm a trustworthy steward of its safety and um, that I'm going to create the boundaries and make the decisions necessary to ensure that it's not harmed in the ways in which it was harmed, not only by um, external perpetrators, but maybe even more so by myself, from the less conscious versions of myself that um, that cause so much pain and, and suffering within, right? Just self-harm yeah. in, in all the forms and to just let it know, let him know that it's we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to consciously or unconsciously do anything remotely self-destructive or harmful. and, and we won't allow anyone in our field that's going to
0: do that either.
1: And that's a, yeah, that's a really good feeling.
0: I think definitely when you make the, and it's a choice, you make the choice that you're not going to be destructive to yourself. You suddenly also really don't want any any destruction in your environment or to whoever comes into that environment. And you almost want to just grow that construction around you and within. Um, I found that change a lot in my life when when going through the process like you said and it takes time it's all it feels like later it feels like it was almost a switch that just happened but it you can sort of reflect and see it's constantly happened over time uh, and experience do you ever do the opposite and sort of envision sort of an older version of yourself 15 20 years later like an older mentor that's giving you gifts and wisdom. (laughs)
1: I like that. I like that. No, you know, I don't know that I've ever done that. That's funny. That's
0: you have to try that out because that's one that I found uh, quite uh, fascinating, the process, just sitting sort of in a meditation or just even when I'm just out doing something and imagining there's a version of myself. The amount I changed from, say, 15 years old to now, I imagine like that change even more. And that one's turning up to give me some encouragement to, to sort of share some insight into my life wow i like that i
1: like that luke that's really good yeah i i I intend to apply that that's a good teaching
0: yeah try it out it's very interesting it's very profound i'll Um, see this
1: i'll see this bald-headed old old wrinkly man (laughs) talking to the 51 year old hey man you're all right you're all right keep going
0: when Uh, i when i picture it in my mind and i'm doing it it's just a being of light i don't see a face i don't see myself it's me but it's just a a beaming light of a figure of me i don't so there's no that's how it worked for me anyway there isn't a form to it apart from a slight human form it's just a glowing light and it's just all wise and encouraging and loving and supportive um yeah and it was just a really interesting process i went through i don't know where again where these things come from i don't not the one that gave it to myself it just appeared (laughs) yeah (laughs) like you said earlier it's like it's part of just something that happens well, I'm glad it did. And thanks. Thanks
1: for sharing. I think that'll be really useful for me and anyone listening.
0: Yeah. And how, how did you get to where you are now? Like you have so much content and you're putting so much stuff out and I'm aware now, like I've just seen recently that you've got the glasses. My partner doesn't have your glasses, I'm afraid yet. Cause she got hers uh, maybe like a year ago. So, cause we, especially for her, she has really sensitive uh, eyes to the laptop light, to the phone light. Um, and it's, buying the glasses that take out the blue light was like a dramatic change for her. Um, yeah, when did that, why did you get into making them? Because I know you work within the fashion and lifestyle things. Is it because of that just intertwined with the health benefits you saw?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> in, in a strange turn of events, uh, back in the late 90s, I started working as a celebrity fashion stylist. Uh, I had a, an ex-girlfriend that I had dated when I was, when I first moved to Hollywood when I was 19 and, um, and we stayed in touch, you know, remotely um, here and there over the years. And when I got sober, she, you know, was happy for me and wanted to support me. So she hired me as her assistant and she was a really big celebrity stylist. And so she had booked Aerosmith as a client. And so uh, that was really my first job in that industry. So I, I kind of started at the top and well, I was an assistant, but I started at the top of the assistant game and I actually went on to do that for God, 17 years or so um and so i you know worked in the fashion and entertainment industry and i guess you know i always even as a kid i always really liked i was kind of particular about my clothes and i was so into music i loved i loved the style of you know the musicians that i wanted mm-hmm. to emulate and i played in bands for oh god 15 years or something so I think i've always just been into clothes i just like it as a as a form of expression and uh just a, a creative outlet i guess you could say i'm not so into it anymore but when it was my job i mean i had to be into it and uh but at the same time while i was working in that job i was getting really into alternative healing and um and really studying ancestral health and things like this because i not only did i destroy my life when i was an addict but i also destroyed my body and my health i was in terrible health uh, in my late twenties into my early thirties, and so I got into all of the stuff um, that people call biohacking now. Uh, all the way back then, you know, twenty-five years ago, and um, one of the things I discovered maybe ten years ago or so was how damaging uh, artificial artificial light is um, specifically to our melatonin production, and as a result, to our sleep. And so I started researching that. And it was, a, it was relatively unknown, I think, when I first uh, discovered this. And so the only eyewear that was available that would protect your eyes and your melatonin, and it's not just your melatonin, it's really all of your neurotransmitters and hormones um, are controlled by light. We're yoked to the color spectrum of light. We're like walking yeah, solar we, panels, there, basically.
0: There was it a circad- circadian river, if I'm saying that yeah, right. Yeah, like circadian. Before artificial yes. light was here, if there's the sun sets, yeah. it's dark. You know, we don't yeah. have... You know, like I've got a cats and a dog, and when it's nighttime, if you shine a light towards them, their eyes have that reflective glow, because right. they they have that whatever it's called that makes them be able to see better in the dark. Yet, if you shine, like nothing. We're not made to see after dark. Yeah, you know, we don't so... have that ability. So when the sun goes down, we're not meant to see light. Yet, who is who's not? I'm on my phone right now, and it's dark out.
1: <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, I imagine well, that's the same I, for I think... so many
1: fundamentally if you just think about i mean you don't even have to get into the science you just think about it from common sense okay yeah. for all of the millions of years human beings have been on the planet we have never evolved to be exposed to the blue spectrum of light that's present during the day it's been firelight and torches right and maybe starlight and then a couple hundred years ago we uh, came up with electricity and then the incandescent light bulb and uh ever since, I mean, you can really look at a graph of when electricity, especially electricity flowing through our homes, that's the EMF side of it. But uh, with the light, you can really see a decline in human health and um, and also longevity and, and everything. So it's it's lovely to have technology and I've got two iPads going right here, I'm on my computer, I've got a red light on the floor to balance out the color spectrum in here. I mean, hmm. I've got electronics all over the place, I love it. but. Um, what we don't realize, I think, because we're just in the middle of this cycle is that we really didn't do ourselves any favors when we started creating all of these devices that not only create um, a, a blue spectrum of light that is present during the day, which tricks our brain into thinking that it's you know midday when it's actually midnight, but it's also the very narrow spectrum of blue light that I call, um, well, many call non-native blue light. And this is a, a color spectrum of light that isn't present anywhere on the planet it's not even present in the daytime in the daytime you have really the full spectrum of light depending on what time of day it is so you you can't see it but essentially the light that we're exposed to when we're outdoors is all of the colors of the rainbow essentially at least from dusk till dawn right and so it's not only that we're being exposed to blue light at night and by blue light i mean just any white light that's not red at night is blue light but it's that these devices in order to save energy have been created with a very narrow spectrum of blue light that is extremely confusing to your biology. So anyway, when I found out about all this, I started buying these blue blocking glasses on Amazon and they were you know, just these horrific looking big yellow goggles. And man, I mean, I'd wear them out. And my friends, even a couple girlfriends were like, man, can you not wear those out <laughs> with me? It's just, I can't stand everyone staring at us. You look like such a, uh, spaz you know and so um but i did anyway i didn't care i my sleep improved my health improved and then some people did come out with glasses that were a little more acceptable fashion wise um but i could never really find any that i i loved the frames and also that were scientifically uh created in terms of the lens that would block the correct spectrum of light and do so without um causing a distortion in color. So the early blue blockers I had made everything yellow. Then the next ones made everything red. So I just decided to make my own glasses that I, I chose the frames and you know designed the line myself and also found lenses that are created using uh, melanin, which is a natural pig- pigment that's actually baked into the lenses. So it's not like a film on top of it. And this particular <laughs> pigment allows you to have true color perception. So I wear them when I drive, I watch movies with them. Um, I wear them all the time at night and they don't bother me at all. Everything, I mean, everything looks more red and I'm not seeing any blue, but I I can tell when like a stoplight is green or blue, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, or, or, I'm sorry, green or uh, red. When I first got my first pair of like dark blue blockers, I was, I remember I was driving through the Hollywood Hills and I almost crashed into someone because I couldn't tell that the light was green or red. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, my line's called Gilded, and uh, you can find them at gildedbylukestory.com, G-I-L-D-E-D, gildedbylukestory.com, and they're really cool high fashion frames that are also scientifically uh, created that blocks the blue light without uh, ruining the color perception.
0: Yeah, I looked through your website and I saw, um, I think you got, was it, am I right, and there were six different types? Yeah, right in now terms of we,
1: we launched with three women's styles and three men's and we'll be expanding those and we'll be moving into prescription lenses and doing all kinds of stuff. But it, it took me like a year in the middle of the scamdemic to, uh, you know, just to launch a new brand was yeah. challenging for a number of issues and I also moved yeah. from from L.A. to Texas. And so it took me
0: forever. No. I was
1: finally like, all right, we got six pairs. Let's put it out. And people are really <laughs> liking them.
0: So yeah, no, I, well done for getting it done, especially during this time. Like there's everyone's got stuff going on, but everything the more sort of quality and stuff people can contribute the better. So yeah, congratulations on actually getting you. them out there. Yeah. You, do you got any plans? Is there is there can you buy them for children? Because I see kids in prams on iPads, you know, and it could be oh, late at night yeah. when they're shopping. Is there any any plans on being able to make some yes. for kids? Yes, in fact, I
1: already have the frames picked out. Uh, one one boys and one girls style. I mean, really, a lot of them are kind of unisex. I think a couple of my women's ones probably not appeal to most males, but uh, yeah, I do have a couple kids pairs coming and. Um, I hope to have a kid or kids in the near future myself. So I'm definitely keen on, you know, not ruining their melatonin and their sleep. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking out for the kids. Like
0: I was exposed to, say, computers and phones from roughly 13 years old. But now I'm seeing kids are being babysitted by an iPad at like two and stuff, you know, like such a young age. They're put in front of screens for such a long time. And yeah. like you're saying with the light, is it, the, is it just the LCD lights that have that other type of blue light, or is it in quite a lot of, Because
1: well, lots of screens
0: now, phone screens are LCD yeah, but well, also, bulbs, cheap uh, bulbs.
1: Device screens are typically uh, LED. Most overhead lighting that you'll find in public and even you know residential spaces is, is LED. Um, there's kind of a hierarchy of lights when it comes to uh, the type of bulbs or lighting, and... There's two issues. One is the spectrum color of the light or the temperature of the light. The other issue is that a lot of the kind of energy conserving lights also create something called flicker, which is just brutal for your nervous system. Again, it's a non-native light, no light in nature flickers. In fact, the only time light flickers in nature is if you are running through uh, the forest because something's trying to kill you or you're trying to kill something. So flickering light is, is really agitating to your nervous system. And um, like fluorescent tubes and those little curly Q CFL bulbs that people use in fixtures, those are probably the worst followed by LED lighting. The best lighting uh, typically is incandescent lighting, just old school filament light bulbs that are uh, somewhat difficult to find depending on where you live in the world. I know in California, they were like illegal for a while and I had to, you know, get someone to ship them in to me. But, uh, yeah, the lighting thing is really, is really complex. Actually, you think it would be just simple to figure out, but it's not because you're dealing with the color temperature and the flicker rate. Uh, for example, a couple nights ago, I was watching TV, which I don't do a lot of, but I, I like to watch music documentaries. That's kind of my, my thing. And I was watching one on Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I took a video of it and I texted it to a friend of mine who, who knew him uh, very well. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And when I turned on my phone to film the TV, you could see the TV flickering like crazy. I was like, holy shit, I've been watching this TV for a year, you know, here and there, and sitting there staring at a flickering light. So if you're wondering, it's a really cool trick you can do, any lighting in your home, uh, you can turn on your video camera on your phone, and especially if you turn it on slow motion, You'll be able to tell if the light's flickering or not and personally i would recommend that you replace any lights in your environment that flicker um which is as i said equally as well maybe not as damaging as the blue light spectrum but definitely not doing you any favors it's very agitating to your brain um to, to watch a light that's flicking on and off it's like you know when you walk in a disco and it's like big light show going on right like yeah. a club I mean, you're like, ah, it's really annoying, like a strobe light, that's what's happening. Um, The good news is more and more manufacturers of devices and even televisions and and even some lighting are aware of this and so they can make switchboards for lights that don't flicker. And that's something that I hope to, to develop also with my line Gilded is some light bulbs of different sizes and shapes and color spectrum that are made without the flicker. And if I'm not mistaken, like I'm looking at an Apple iMac right here. I know we're not doing video, uh, which is probably like people on my live stream are probably wondering, like, why is he looking all over the place? Because I, I don't want to <laughs> stare at a screen with no no face on it. Uh, but I think that this computer is probably made to not flicker. I mean, this is something that manufacturers are aware of. It's just cheaper to make lighting devices that do flicker. And and why they why they made them to flicker in the first place is that it saves energy because when a light flickers what's happening is it's turning off whatever 60 times a second uh per se on average and so rather than yeah so rather than a light pulling power for a second it's only pulling power intermittently and that's why they made lights to flicker and that's the whole kind of legislative push to get rid of incandescent bulbs that don't flicker because they use more power and they run hot. They draw a lot more power. So uh, I live next to a Home Depot and I spent a lot of time there because I'm renovating a, a house that we just bought. And I mean, you you can barely find any bulbs in there or fixtures for that matter that aren't made for LED lights because they're all, quote, unquote energy efficient. But at what cost, right? It might be yeah. energy efficient because we're burning less coal, but you're going to end up potentially getting cancer because you're, you know, you're exposed to this horrible blue light your whole life and your sleep is shit. And your, your nervous system is getting torched by this flicker. So I'm more in favor of saving human biology than I am saving a couple of dollars on the electric bill.
0: Yeah. No. And for me, like, I know we're getting near to the end of the podcast, so I'll keep this a bit short, but for me, I actually noticed from sun gazing actually brought up such an awareness to light
1: and yeah. that's when I
0: started to notice the flickering. I noticed in their shops, I, I really just become super sensitive and it wasn't like it was painful. It's like an awareness. You just see it. Yeah. And um, you can notice the discomfort. I actually went through the process of finding that through sun gazing. Um, oh, that's so
1: through- cool. Luke sun gazing is everything. People ask me because I'm kind of a loud mouth in the health space and I produce a lot of content uh, to support people's, you know, physical health, et cetera. And people always ask me what's the best device or supplement and people wanna go spend all this money. And that's great because I represent a lot of brands and, and some of them give me money when people buy stuff. So that's fine, yeah. but I always tell people, man, the, the real needle movers when it comes to health are almost always free, but they require a lot more discipline. So waking up pre-dawn and sun gazing for the first you know 10 to 20 minutes depending on where you are and then watching the sunset ice baths, breath work, uh, you know, just mindfulness, prayer, a, a serious, you know, committed meditation practice. I, I think honestly, those are the things that will really be most useful to people, but it requires more discipline to wake up when it's cold and dark and get out and watch the sunrise than it does like wake up and pop five supplements, you know?
0: Well, all them things of what have gave me, I've noticed the, the biggest advantages in my life, in my balance, emotions, joy function um and i used to be heavy on lots of supplements lots of different things and now i don't but it's i do do them things and like you said they take a discipline to to, to watch the sun and i've told yeah. people before it's like you want to watch like the first 10 degrees um, because it's a lot gentler and i said practice from there in the last yeah. 10 degree but again, most people can only watch the last ten because that's, they're not going to get up for the first ten. Um, you know, it's funny, but-
1: Luke. I'm in a I'm in like a struggle with myself because the place where we're living temporarily has a due east view, so I can see the sunrise pretty well on the horizon. There's one little hill, but it's it's pretty close to like first morning light. But where I live in Texas, the weather's very temperamental, so. I'm used to in LA, like it'll be sunny for three months and not one cloud. And then you have a few days of cloud, maybe it rains once in a while. But in Texas, it's like it'll be super sunny one day. And I'm like, yes, I check the weather. I wake up at 645. I run out to the balcony and I watch the sunrise, do my breath work, do my thing. And I'm like, I'm going to do this every day. And then the next night I'll look at the weather and it's going to say it's going to be cloudy the next morning. So I'm like, eh, I'm going to sleep in or I'm going to stay up late. So it's actually even as someone who's such a huge proponent of sunrise sun gazing uh it's difficult for me to stay in practice of it because it's not always guaranteed that i'm gonna actually get up and see the sun you know
0: yeah yeah and i think it also comes down to what we were saying right at the beginning is the not beating yourself up if you break a routine or you come out of it and having that flexibility. That was something I struggled with before. It's like, if I'm going to sun gaze, right, that's it. You have to do it every day. If you miss a day, you've done a bad job. <laughs> right, right. Like you say, yeah. sometimes as well, the sun's just not there because the weather's different and you yeah. can't do it. Um, but, man,
1: I'm telling you, the sun gazing is – sun gazing and ice baths, I, I think, are the most powerful antidepressant on the planet. There's something – the way that that early morning, the, the the light at dusk and dawn is red light. It doesn't appear, it might appear a little yellow or orange, but there's, there's no UV, which is the blue spectrum of light, UVA, UVB, UVC. Um, we're just getting that beautiful red light in the morning. And there's something that happens with your neurotransmitters and hormones. And it's just a profound practice. And this isn't like something that some hippies came up with five years ago. You know, I mean, like civilizations have been worshipping and following the sun for all of recorded history i mean it's the, the act of sun gazing is is one of the ayurvedic practices from ancient india so it's not like a new thing it's it's actually something very old that we've largely forgotten because we don't um, we're not taught about the benefits and yeah. how you know how profound and so many we,
0: do it without even realizing it is who doesn't like to watch the sunset or sunrise yeah, i love totally. it you know it's naturally a beautiful thing
1: totally yeah there's a reason i've always looked at that too that's a good observation there's a reason why when we go on vacations typically unless we're going skiing or something right we always go to where there's water lots of sun and we tend to watch the sunset whenever possible right and i think that just the sun itself is such a powerful uh healing energy i mean i go out Every day I can, I go out in my backyard, um, buck naked, and I sit in the sun for you know 20 to 40 minutes. And I'll even if I have stuff to do, I'll just go out there and grab my phone and answer emails from the lawn, and then I'll take an ice bath. And it's like, dude, I don't, I would probably have to be in therapy or something, you know what I mean? But I'm just like, the mood elevation that I experience from getting in the sun, and and I've thought about that. I'm like, this is why people go on vacation. But you don't have to go on vacation to be near water, to get in some cold water, to to get some great sun on your body, to get natural sun, um, you know, just sunlight in your eyes, not staring at the, you know, the peak of the sun, obviously, but just being exposed to light and nature and the elements, getting cold, getting hot, doing saunas, breath work. This is the stuff that will really transform your life. It's, it's, I was just going to ask you on that.
0: You mentioned the peak of the sun because as I was doing my practice and after time, and I'm not telling anyone else to do this, but we're told that you can't look directly at the sun. Now, as my sun gazing practice has gone, I will do sun gazing at the peak of the day when the sun's the brightest. Wow. And we'll be looking straight into the sun, and it seems to be no problem.
1: Wow. You know, I have, I have heard that. Um, And for people, my vision gets
0: clearer. That's all I can say. Like I feel like I'm upgraded to HD.
1: I would say for people listening as a disclaimer, you know, study how to do sun gazing. But (laughs) the idea is there if you have consistency that yeah, you can build your way up where you might only be able to watch the first one minute when you start when the sun rises, right? Or the last minute of the day as sun sets. But over time you do become more uh, more tolerant and resilient. I've not yet tried it at midday, but but I, I do know this, though, um, there's also science to support the fact that, I was going to say the idea, but science has proven it legitimately, that when you expose your eyes to early morning and 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 uh, late day sun, that you actually develop a solar callus on your skin and you're much less susceptible to being sunburned. And I thought about that when I first heard that and I was like, wow, that's really weird because, I, I mean, I've never really gotten sunburned because I'm kind of olive skinned, but um, maybe a little bit, but definitely since I started sun gazing, I've never been sunburned and I'll go out in the sun sometimes and lay there for two or three hours, like in the middle of the day. And everyone's like, do you need sunscreen? I'm like, no, I don't need sunscreen because of that sun gazing. And there's something about the way that your, um, your body acclimates to light from getting that red light exposure. And also this can be said of, doing red light therapy you know i have a couple red light devices one right here next to me by a company called sauna space and another one i have at home called uh, juve and uh red light therapy or doing red light sessions also helps you to build a solar callus and become more resilient to that high uv light that would typically burn someone who's fair-skinned it's really fascinating
0: yeah interesting i've also found that because i am I, I live a lot off solar energy on, I actually live in a van, by the way, I travel in a, a van. So for, oh, but I live cool. mainly off uh, solar panels. Man. And like the solar works only when at its best, when the sun's like as parallel to the panel as possible. Okay. And that's why I try to, because I've spoke about like so, uh, sun gazing with a few different people and they're like, Oh, but I'm always sun gazing because I'm walking around in daylight. And I said, it's like the solar panel. I said, unless it's direct, and I said, you're actually like, it's going straight to your pupil pupil as parallel as possible, sort of like in a straight line. I said, you're not getting quite the same impact. Ah, that's and when you see a solar panel, like I said, you can test it. And if you angle it, as you angle it, even the slightest from not being direct, it changes the the amount of power that's coming in drastically. That's um,
1: super cool. I guess that's why, you know, I guess that's why that early morning and, and late evening sun gazing works, right? Because if you're, if you're somewhere flat and you can see the sun right when it breaches the horizon your eyes are parallel to it at that yeah, time yeah
0: but yeah and i also do moon gazing as well i don't know if you ever ever do that or you just oh cool same no. thing especially on a full moon real direct i find it's yeah, something that's very, very cool Speaking are my language really interesting really powerful you can feel it as a on an emotional level whereas the sun i feel it on a power action level and the moon's right like an emotional stabilizer and that's... again we love watching the full moon it's exactly the same yeah, as well. yeah you know it's got this uh every every it's just something about it that we're drawn to and i think it's has uh, got incredible power to gaze at
1: that's very cool i've not thought about the moon in that way thank you for that tip i'm gonna start doing that but you're so right everyone's like oh my god look at the moon it's so beautiful tonight and i think we just observe it like a piece of art but i've never thought of yeah. actually interacting with it in that
0: way that's very cool yeah literally trying to keep your pupils again straight on it focused for a few minutes minimum it's a lot easier than sun gazing because you can just yeah stare yeah without you know it's not it's not like you need to warm up to it even that's um, cool but yeah you have to give that a go Right, i don't want to take any more of your time but i've just got a few quick fire questions i ask every guest at the end of the show have you got time for a few little questions yes sir let's do it yeah so if you could only choose one cat or a dog
1: Oh, I would say a dog. Yeah, we have a cat and a dog, and I love them both. But the dog, there's something, I don't know, there's something special about dogs. You know, they just, I guess they're, you know, the cat, like I think about our cat Jelly, he's cool, and I love him. He's super cute, but he doesn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) he just does his own thing. Whereas our dog Cookie, I mean, she's really feels like kind of more a part of the family because she just wants to hang out with us all the time, 24 seven. So yeah, I would say dog, but it took me a long time to even warm up to that because I only had cats as pets earlier in life and I had a few really traumatic experiences with dogs. I got bit a lot and sometimes pretty horribly so. I used to literally say these words and it's funny thing about it. I used to always say like, I hate dogs. I just hate them. And I really did. Like I would see a dog and just have this contempt for them because I, I resent a lot of friends that way. <laughs> I, yeah. I resent. No one all wants dogs to hear because of the, you know, five yeah, dogs, because of how me, <laughs> a few but, bad apples. Yeah,
0: and and um, exactly the same as people in it. When someone's been abused by a person, they can end up saying, I hate people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. It takes yeah, the yeah. process and one to give unconditional love and suddenly they go, "Oh, I'm not so bad. And, well
1: yeah i i love our i love our dog and now i love all dogs you know i mean i'm a little apprehensive about some of the breeds that have attacked me in the past but yeah most of them man i just love them they just bring even like when our dog cookie walks in the room with her wagging tail and wants to kiss everyone and hug everyone's leg like i just watch people light up when she comes in the room there's just such a special relationship that we have with the canines it's it's an ancient relationship and it, it really shows
0: yeah no i have a dog and i have um have four cats and like I said, I am in a van, <laughs> but I oh have a dog, God, four cats, yeah. and my love. But there's a lot of us together. We rescued a cat yeah and it gave birth in the van, uh, unexpectedly, oh. and uh, we ended up keeping them all because they've just become part of our life. But they—they're like dogs. They come everywhere. We take them on walks. They—we whistle. They come. It's like oh, having a look. Cool. What's, your, what's your favorite color?
1: You know, I've always said my favorite color is black. And then people say, that's not a color. That's the <laughs> absence of color. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's funny. I think it probably, it it probably is. There's something about the void that has always appealed to me. Just the, the presence of nothing, you know? So most yeah. of my clothes, I've tried to add a little color in over the years. Cause I, I don't, I don't want to be like goth guy as a 51 year old. It's not, maybe not that appropriate, but, um, yeah, I, I really do actually like the color black, um, despite it not being a color. There's just something about the, the emptiness and the spaciousness of that color that, uh, that I like, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, again, uh, uh, a deeper topic but then you might wanna think about. It. If you look into uh, how light is, say, perceived and how it reflects off things to how we perceive color, they say, if you're to wear all black, you're actually making yourself like a superconductor. You're absorbing all forms because it doesn't reflect. Ah, uh, so, yes, yes. Yeah. I've so heard, and I've heard, I've and heard if heard you look that. like you say someone that's uh, depressed or they're feeling really down, they can end up wearing all black or all gray.
1: Right, right. That's true. We wear black at funerals, right? Yeah. Well, today you know, we don't have video on this, but I am wearing a, a bright white T-shirt as we speak. But it's interesting, that, you know, in, in terms of colored clothing. Uh, I was a practitioner and even a teacher for some time of Kundalini Yoga, and it's not like you have to do anything. But if you walk in a traditional Kundalini Yoga class, everyone's going to be wearing all white head to toe, and um, and I always thought that was interesting. And so I started. When i would teach and do workshops and things like that i i just i got myself some white little yoga clothes and i remember the first time i went to um a a long workshop it was a white tantric workshop and and there you definitely were it was requested that you wore white um and i had on this whole white outfit and i was like god this feels really great like i really enjoyed it i felt good in it and that's i think that was actually a turning point and i started to incorporate some more colors into my wardrobe um And then i quickly discovered and then i started wearing more white and i realized oh now i know why i didn't wear white because it shows dirt so much you know yeah (laughs) i could wear the same black jeans for like two weeks and you know i don't know they're dirty until they start to smell dirty but white clothing is like man you really got to watch yourself
0: yeah and it seems to be like the so it's like right. the, that's a giving presence, whereas the black is an absorbing presence, and like a certain orange, and they all wear that color. And there is right. a real uh, what we wear, I think, and how we interact like that. Oh, everything makes a, a difference. Some more stronger than others.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. Thanks for the reminder. I'm gonna incorporate. I I really do enjoy wearing white. I'm gonna do more of it. Yeah, um, what excites you? Oh, what excites me, I think, is. Man, I just love being in love with my wife. It's just, it's, it's, it's new for me to be able to have such a profound and also healthy connection with another person. I've never in my life experienced uh, the degree of intimacy and uh vulnerability and authenticity that i have with with my uh, wife allison and have also never felt so safe uh to to do so Mm -hmm. and so i don't know if exciting is the right word actually but i think if if you ask me you know what am i most grateful for it would probably be that in this moment but there is there is kind of an excitement but it's you know, after having had so many relationships, uh, in my life where they were really based off excitement, you know, what I perceived to be love, not that there wasn't love also present, but there was, um, a sense of, uh, infatuation and excitement and almost like a drug like quality to some of my interactions and even some relationships, um, that actually created a sense of, um, Insecurity, really, you know, and um, instability, and so now it's been so fulfilling over the past couple of years to just have a very grounded and um, calm relationship of love that is very elevated uh, for me. And uh, she was just out of town for ten days or something, and it's really interesting because we we missed one another, but. I didn't miss her like I missed a drug,
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like I yeah. miss her company, but not, I, it's Yeah. Not, I, I didn't think it's important like... not to feel dependent on anything. Exactly. Like you say you're not dependent on her, but you just want her, they just enjoy her presence, you love her, yeah. you just enjoy the exchange, the communication. That's beautiful. I'm really happy yeah. for you.
1: And I picked her up from the airport yesterday and it's just everything's back to normal, but I've I felt complete within myself when she wasn't physically present and I also felt complete within myself when she was present. It's just an added level of joy and an added expression of love. So I think, um, I think that is just the greatest gift in my life right now. She's such oh, a beautiful. Um, such an incredible human being and just so inspiring and just I'm just in awe of her all the time. <laughs> it's just added so much to my life. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice man. It's really nice to hear.
0: Um, what yeah. turns you off?
1: Uh, I would say what turns me off is phoniness, uh, lack of integrity, untruthfulness, falsehood. I'm, I'm after truth, you know, all truths about all things. I mean, that's really, I think what my deepest passion is and what I've built my whole platform and podcast on is, is the revelation of truth. And so. Now we live in a world, and I suppose we always have, but a lot of the falsehood um, in the reality that's kind of been projected on us and for us, and in some cases by us, is really starting to show uh, the falsehood that pervades our reality, and so that turns me off. You know, it's like I like yeah. meeting people that are that are real. Even sometimes when I go in a store, you know, and there's someone behind the counter and. I just have this desire to connect with people, you know, and look them in the eyes and acknowledge them. I, I know how wonderful that feels to be acknowledged. And I play this little game sometimes where I'll try to break someone out of their role, especially when someone's wearing a uniform, you know, like the, the TSA agent or parking meter attendant or teller at the bank. Right. And i I just want to connect with them on a human level. And, and I find some people are so identified with the role that they're playing that they don't even know that they're playing it and there's no ability for them to break out of it. And, yeah, no. um, so, you know, I just like meeting people and just the authenticity of of the beauty of the human spirit is what really moves me. And so when that's not present or it's being obscured by, um, you know, someone's kind of pretense, I don't find that very interesting. <laughs>
0: okay. yeah, no, I get that. Um, what sound or noise do you love? um oh that's a great question
1: what sound or noise do i love you know i my favorite sound i think is my wife's laughter oh, Nice.
0: what sound or noise do you hate
1: leaf blowers
0: <laughs> that was my last guest uh same answer leaf blowers
1: <laughs> i'm from la man so it's like <laughs> he was we, from la as well so <laughs> yeah we we so have a real too many leaf real... blowers there a real thing there. I always I always joke, you know, I'm 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 not a fan of big government and uh, control and regulations and legislation. I think we're just in such a quagmire of of that in in our at least in this country today, especially. But um I've always said I'd be willing to break that rule if you just outlawed and you know imposed incredible fines for the use of leaf blowers worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> They're such a nuisance i'm actually quite sensitive to noise so a lot of noises actually bother me but that's one is probably the worst i love just okay. i love silence man i just there's nothing better to me than just absolute utter emptiness and silence and it's difficult to find that in the world today It's just why i love going into float tanks you know like float tanks are one of the only places where you really don't hear any of the outside world except for maybe some water splashing if you move around but um yeah that would be yeah, my, one of, my my one most my annoying noise points.
0: One of my best friends he said to me that he he's talking about how much he loves silence and he's he got uh like a plaque for his wall that says only speak if what you're about to say is more beautiful than silence. But he <laughs> said he's too scared to put it on his wall because he goes it could look quite rude <laughs> because at the entrance of his house as you come in.
1: That is funny. I like that. That's that's pretty brilliant right there.
0: Yeah. And what's your greatest fear? My greatest fear um What comes to mind first? Oh,
1: you know, even though at the core of my being, I I truly understand fear to be an illusion and Mm -hmm. totally unnecessary. I think right now, my deepest fear is probably that um, humanity as a whole is undergoing and could potentially um, continue to face their our demise at the hands of um, some very pathologically insane control freaks and power freaks that are, yeah, have jostled their way into positions of power um, in the world and that and that they're going to stamp out our civilization through their, misguided uh desire to uh, enforce their agendas and um you know I, I would say like when i wake up in the morning if anything kind of worries me it's that you know our children uh, are being so terribly harmed and uh you know just humanity is is just is under attack at the moment and sometimes i fear that we're going to lose <laughs> you know yeah. um but I don't. I don't believe that to be true. I, I don't. I believe that that's yeah.
0: Imagine. That couldn't be the the fear that creeps in when you have a, an awareness to a certain amount of things that we've become aware to that's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, and no, I, I really
1: that. I do believe that we will prevail and that the the strength of the human spirit is is really a force to be reckoned with. But at times, you know, appearances uh, indicate that you know we're in we're in a pretty bad way. So um, I'm optimistic, but sometimes i do um i do get a little concerned when i see things progressing so quickly you know
0: yeah Um what do you love about yourself
1: i love my uh sense of humor and and lightness of being i i love that um i'm able to have fun even in the most dire of circumstances sometimes you know yeah. uh, my ability to not take myself and, and life too seriously, I think would be one of my most cherished assets.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think we have that in common. I think that comes from having a lot of trauma when you're younger that you, something switches and you see a lot of comedians as well that, you know, they actually got a lot of trauma behind the scenes and then comedy seems to come from that. Humor comes from that. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, Also, man, I mean, just any day above ground is a win for me. You know, where I come from is just, it's such a hopeless place and um just being oh, just trapped in the cycle that i was trapped in for so long um to just be out of that is enough you know what i mean it's like yeah. and my life and my sense of you know purpose and meaning and well-being overall has improved so much and continues to do so but even on my worst day it's better than any day of my uh, early life you know the first half of, i guess yeah the first half of my life was uh it was rough you know and now despite any issues i might be working through it's still i'm still like light years ahead of where i was so that kind of helps yeah. me to keep things in perspective yeah
0: i sort of see sometimes look at my life and i see it like a uh You know, like when you see the graphs for like the stock or the cryptocurrency and they're like bouncing up and down. And like as long as it's consistently going up and there's a trend and you can look back and go, actually, even the downs aren't that down. But there's going to be downs, there's going to be ups. Like Life's a wave, you know, it's it's always ups and downs. It's always in motion.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful analogy. You know, that's how I look at the consciousness of humanity as a whole, you know, because I think about how did we get here? How did people become so gullible and sheepish and just so easily tricked and duped and manipulated, you know, just like, God, how are people this fucking stupid, honestly, you know, not to judge them, it's just an observation, um, which I believe to be true. But, um, you know, it's, I think, God, haven't we evolved where we just have some sense of uh, inner knowing and intuition and sovereignty, But, um, but as you said, if if you look, not even that distant in the in human and human, human civilization's history, it wasn't that long ago that you know we were just barbarous Vikings, just animals, you know, just running from village to village, raping and pillaging. And then we we moved up a step into slavery, right? And then that went on for however long it went on, and I'm sure it still does in some places. But um, it's largely understood that slavery is super fucked up. Uh, So we're not doing that, Um, but there are things going on now that are perhaps not equivalent one for one, but that I perceive to be at least as damaging. And we're working our way through that. And there'll be a time when we look back on these times in however many hundred or hundreds or thousands of years, right? And we'll look back and go, oh my God, we've evolved so much. Remember when
0: all of humanity got duped by these idiots in power
1: into giving up their, their freedom, you know?
0: I was talking to a friend and I said, to me, it feels like at the moment we're in that moment of sunrise, like the sun is just shining. So there's a light of hope that it's, the day is about to start, start. the darkness is ended, the coldness is ended. But most people don't get up for sunrise. So most people are still asleep. I said, wait till it gets to midday and everyone will see that it's going to be a warm day and it's going to be fine. And I was like, that's where I feel like we're at, at the moment. We're in that dusk, that sunrise. There's a beauty still here. It's something beautiful to see and witness. But it's still cold, you know. It's still a bit yeah. hard to get up at that time. There's still struggles, but so many yeah. people haven't got out of bed, so many people are asleep. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's just the way it's supposed to be. You know, I think that's yeah. something that's really made my life a lot easier is just understanding that I don't understand,
0: <laughs> <You know>? yeah, <laughs> and just... letting go. Yeah, certain letting go again, yeah, when you've it's... looked for control. It's really hard to let go because <laughs> yeah. that feels like and that's a control you realize you're controlling even your so sort of everything it's like no letting go just to surrender be, like, to be surrender
1: yeah surrender is the golden key to freedom man you know it's just mm-hmm. the only thing we can really ultimately control is our own perception that's the only thing we we really have say over you know so i think that's yeah. a that's a great way to look at it and, um, and also just trusting that, you know, not only do I not really have control in, in the greater sense and things are just going the way they are, but also trusting that there is a benevolent uh, force, you know, animating and um, emanating from and to our planet and uh, all people and all things universally. And that this thing that some might refer to as God or spirit or source. Uh, knows what it's doing <laughs> you know what i mean that i yeah. don't i don't have to play god because there's already someone doing a great job in that role despite appearances sometimes where i think god why isn't why aren't things this way or that way it's like well i don't understand the reasons but in time maybe i will if i pay attention
0: yeah and maybe i won't and that's okay too <laughs> right right uh, and just uh lastly what do you love in others and what do you love about animals
1: uh, what I love in others, man, is just the the frailty and imperfection of uh, of humans, man, just the people, you know, I love our, I love our vulnerability and um and courage, you know. Being incarnated as a human is very difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this is not an easy game to play in earth school. It's 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 just not, you know. And and I'm a happy guy. I'm successful and always I want to be successful. Um and it's still challenging. So I I just respect kind of the imperfection of of the human experience and and the fact that um that many of us just keep get, getting back up right and um yeah. that that perseverance there's just something so beautiful about and even the people with whom i disagree you know some of them that i've been speaking of it's like we're all even the worst of us are just doing the very best we can you know with what yeah. we've got and so i just, i just love the um you know i think the the um what's the word i'm looking for like the the contrast of the human spirit, you know, and the capacity that we have for such uh, beautiful works of art and acts of kindness and also the depravity on the lower end of the spectrum, just that we have this, this, um, such broad scope of expression. Yeah. It's, it's just beautiful. It's fascinating. And, and about pets, uh, Pets I or love, animals in general? Oh, animals in general. You know what I love about animals is um, is their inherent innocence, you know, that they, mm-hmm. they don't have the calculating, um, you know, cognizant intellectual capacity that um, makes humans so confusing. Animals <laughs> are just simple. They respond to energy. They respond to their environment. They, um, they're absolutely present. And one of the things I love most about animals is their especially animals in the wild, their uh their resilience and their ability to uh discard and shake off trauma. Yeah. That's one of the most fascinating things about animals to me. You know, you see like a couple of ducks get in a tift and they, you know, they shake their feathers and they just swim off like nothing happened. You know, you see the gazelle get chased by a pack of lions and narrowly escape. And then they just sit there and start eating grass again. (laughs) You know, like nothing
0: ever happened. Yeah. That's something that I always practice. Like I watch my dog and like a dog can come past and he goes super protective. He runs out. He's fully alert. He's got this like mohawk that appears across his back. Like all his, all his nervous system. So stimulated, you know, he's in that attack and defense mode. And then uh, the moment passes, he comes back in and he's like snoring, laying down. Yeah. Like it's completely calm and his breathing's gone. I was like, I need that i need to be able to be alert and ready when i need to be and it should be switched off in an instant if i don't and notice in that and that's think i practice to to rewire my nervous system to to be aware of that just rewatching watching my dog um
1: yeah animals are amazing teachers in so many ways yeah
0: all right man it's been absolutely beautiful to talk to you and get to know you a bit more and i could talk to you for hours to be honest um but i know we've all got things to do um so I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to yeah seeing more of your your story and just what you get up to over the years. I really wish you a lot of success and influence.
1: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, Luke. Great, great chatting with you today. I I love doing this, man. I love I love talking. <laughs> you know, to be honest, yeah. I don't think it's a I don't think it's an accident that I was born into yeah. a, a family with the s- surname Story. You know, I I love sharing <laughs> and just exploring all things you know so thank you for giving me your platform today to do so yeah
0: no thank you for being on here my dad asked me he said how do you just talk to a stranger and i said I could, the problem is i said i could just keep talking i said it's, yeah it's yeah. not that i can't talk i said i it's, have it's i got a time limit it's the problem totally <laughs> i share that same experience and um, um, have a great day um yeah it'd be great to uh, catch up with you sometime in the future and if uh, i'm ever welcome to come on your podcast i'd love to connect and share with you some more on any topics like i've got so many experiences and things i'm trying to share with people to do with mental health and awareness and suicide and all sorts and so many layers that i would like to broadcast to the world on uh, to support and just to give some love and compassion to people out there and um, awesome
1: awesome Luke greenheart thank you i appreciate that and um, have a
0: great day good luck with the glasses and uh look forward to seeing where where that goes and what else comes out from it as well
1: thank you sir good good to meet you you
0: You too much love Bye. bye thank you so much for being here and listening to the selfish podcast i'm your host luke greenheart and i appreciate you being here don't forget to check out my youtube channel just search luke greenheart on youtube you'll find me check out my website lukegreenheart.com Have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes. I'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development, their path to self, getting to know them in much more intimacy, much more depth, sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful, joyful and productive life together. All right. Much love. Have a great day.